the Jubilee with all the fire we can breathe. As COVID cases flare, some schools and businesses reinstate mask mandates. CBS News, August 24th, 10 a.m. Why? So that everyone knows that they did not watch the Republican debate last night. <laughs> they I'm do just, not associate with Nazis and tyrants. I'm just confused. I thought we all agreed masks don't work That's at so this cute point. Face. So what are we doing? That's so cute. No, I'm being genuine. Do <laughs> like they don't want to put a bumper sticker on their electric vehicle, so instead they're going to wear a mask inside the grocery store. I understand that political point, but <laughs> Didn't the CDC even admit, mm. oh, yeah. they don't really do anything? So what are we doing? We're going into an election year? It's really that stupid? I think so. And so the school year started, and with the school year comes all of the viruses. And we've even seen that in our own house. Yeah. Our and our kids, kids aren't go even to going to school. <laughs> our kids don't go to school, but all of you people are getting my kids sick. It's the once a week lottery in the church nursery. And we're like, all right, are they going to bring something home? Mm -hmm. So do these news articles have any sense of awareness? Or are they just saying, of course, this is what we've always, we've always been at war with Eurasia or whatever, East Asia. So this is from an article from The Hill posted today, like 10 hours ago. The CDC categorized, I was trying to figure out like, okay, give me a, a reasonable take reflection of reality. Like what is the current caseload actually like? Um, so this is from the Hill. The CDC categorizes admission levels as green, yellow, and red. If hospital admission rates in a county are classified as yellow or red, when there are 10 to more than 20 COVID-19 hospital admissions per 100,000 people, then it is recommended that people at a high risk of getting very sick wear a mask while at an indoor public space. Is that because <laughs> the mask is only effective when there are more people in the hospital? I don't understand the connection. When COVID-19 hospital admissions are red, this recommendation is applied everywhere, and high-risk individuals are advised to avoid public, quote, non-essential indoor activities. <laughs> just three, so here's, here it is, just 3% of U.S. counties are currently in the yellow category. None are in the red. I mean, it's 103 outside today, so yeah. it's weird to be worried about any virus in Lawrence. But I am I can see that they're getting ready for fall. That's when a lot of people get sick. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand the relationship between masks and hospital rates. You know, in current like family therapy environments, they often will talk about baseline anxiety. And they will say, you develop a baseline anxiety right? During your impressionable childhood years in your childhood home, wherever you grow up is where you establish this baseline. And in a way, since that is what you are used to and become accustomed to, it becomes comfortable. And so often, even as adults, people will try to achieve this baseline anxiety level because it's comfortable to them. And I take your point because people have been sending me rumors that this was coming, that yeah. the CDC is going to lock everyone down. Yeah. Biden's going to do this again for weeks now. Mm -hmm. And then I'm seeing headlines on CNN. They're actually implementing mask mandates and TSA is getting ready. Is that <laughs> a function of everybody's baseline anxiety went down? I think down? so. I think so. For two years, we kind of recalibrated what that baseline looked like. 
possibly three years, depending on who you are. And so now we're just like desperate to get back to that because we kind of liked it. We kind of liked being at the edge of our seat. We got addicted to the adrenaline rush. We, not not me, I shouldn't say we. It was awful. You can only indict someone so many times <laughs> before you need a new kind of headline. Yeah, it's like they talk about the evolution of online video content. I watch a lot of those creators who talk about that kind of content. And they mention how when Facebook was new, people would usually hang on for like three to five minutes for a long video. Right. That's long, yeah. I know. And so but now you basically like have one second to earn some to hook some a viewer to watch maybe seventeen to twenty seconds of a video. Ooh. Like we've just <laughs> and so since we have this such attention deficit we have to have constantly new things. Bone this isn't even new. Bird. <laughs> I wish it were new. Some kind of new horror. It's the same stupid horror. But maybe that's the point. We're getting so close to them asking me to say two plus two is five. <laughs> They're just going to be that on the nose about it. I'm not wearing a mask. But you see this in other ways, too. When Biden pulled out of Afghanistan, there were boomer war hawks who were like, no, please. We still want to be able to pledge our support to the troops on Facebook. And what war are we going to? It was worse than that. It was, but what about girls going to school? Yeah, the girls going to school. Don't we you have care to stay there that? for the girls. Wait, what was the point about pulling out of Afghanistan headline or what? People didn't want to pull out of Afghanistan because it would have changed the status quo and they liked the status quo because oh, okay. they could capitalize on virtue signaling on behalf of the military. Like People love to do that. And people will do this with the military. Like, I love the troops more than you up until the point that you're like, yeah, so let's bring them home. Yeah. Well, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, whatever you think about the right policy in Afghanistan, he just did it the wrong way. Yeah, the wrong way. Yeah. He also checked his watch several times when they brought the flag-draped coffins home. So I don't oh, want to really? hear... Yeah. We can debate the policy, mm. but that's what's at stake. And it's obvious he doesn't care. You can criticize him for that, but not pulling out. Anyway, so people are talking about the mask mandate thing. And the biggest news hook portion of this story is that Lionsgate in Los Angeles was the first large company to reinstate a mask mandate for its employees... There was another Morris Brown College in Atlanta announced that they're reinstating historically black college. They're reinstating a mask mandate for two weeks and they've like imposed restrictions on party sizes. So they're like, there will be no parties. <laughs> for two weeks? Like they're doing the whole For the first two weeks of school? Good lower luck. the curve again? Mm -hmm. It feels like a movie. They're pretending like the last three years didn't happen. And They're trying to make the sequel. Oh, it's like a J.J. Abrams Star Wars reboot where you just do the same exact thing <laughs> with some lens flares and hope no one notices. Honestly, what I think it is for some people on the left is it's like a soft landing. It's an opportunity for a soft landing because they were so fashy about the masks and the vaccines for th like two years, three years. And then culturally it became okay to let go of all of that and possibly even admit that you were wrong what did emily oster call it 
a COVID amnesty. Amnesty, yeah. Yeah, right? So then all of that started to come out. But still, nobody wants to ever admit that they were wrong, right? So this is a way to be like, well, you know, we just didn't know what was going on then. And you just still need to be a little bit careful. Still being a little bit careful is a way for them to like kind of a day crescendo from the last three years when they were like telling people that they deserved to lose their jobs and their livelihood or possibly die without care in a hospital because they weren't bending to the will of the state. Yeah, no, that's crap. Tyranny means never having to say, I'm sorry. (laughs) No. If I had to think about it carefully, I'd say it's the left just trying to set up another, hey, look, we own the institutions and this is... Yeah. And it's not like it's an organized, premeditated thing. So what I'm... When I say the left is flexing its institutional muscle and showing that it still has this authoritative place in the culture, that's just me describing what is. I don't think it's a conspiracy. It's Mm. the way that they continue the illusion of control on the left. Mm -hmm. We're about to go into a presidential election. Even though Biden got more votes in 2020, there were still, what was it, over 80 million votes for Trump. So that means... There are lots and lots of people who don't agree yeah. with that general approach to the world. This is a way they can show, like, maybe they're a majority, right? Mm. Before So it's like a yard sign before yeah. they're available from the campaign directly. That's how it feels to me. I mean, yeah. they're not super enthusiastic about Biden. So what are they going to do? Yeah. Well, I've seen a lot of these people be like, I wear it for my allergies. And I'm like, you realize, no, I saw the particle size of pollen is bigger than COVID and it can fit through an N95 mask. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Well, I remember. And plus, honestly, if you're going outside and you're not taking off your changing shirts and taking off your shoes outside your front door, anytime you go outside, you're going to be tracking in allergens. If you have a dog, like. Wearing a mask outside is futile. True. I just remember wrapping boxers around my face to mow the lawn when we were first together. Not because of COVID, but why? No, for allergies. I'm really allergic to grass. And I would... Boxers? You I don't, don't remember, remember this. Oh. Why couldn't you go you. to the store and spend $2 on a mask? Yeah, this must have been before you. I was just lazy. You wore boxers on your face? <laughs> yeah. How? You tied them? No, I think I just put my face through the leg hole. Or put it in the top and just had it around my face. Yeah. I didn't go buy a mask. See, this was pre-COVID, so I didn't even consider that that was a thing. And they worked fine. How often did you wash your sheets before we were together? How often do I wash our sheets now? Oh, my God. I actually know that you're supposed, not as often as they recommend, but I did more than my roommates in college. There was one guy who just that is threw not away. standard. No, no, no. <laughs> I had a roommate who threw away his sheets at the end of the semester because he just never washed them. That's disgusting. Yeah, it is. That's I was pathetic. A lot, it is. I was a lot better than that. That's what okay. I'm trying to say. I've always. Well, the bar is very. Low, but <laughs> I have seasonal and environmental allergies. I've been aware of that. Mm-hmm. And that ties into my hygiene practices. But I'm not going to let the state tell me that I have to wear a beanie with one of those little propellers on top 
to protect me from some kind of demon. I have always wanted one of those hats with like the two beer holders on the other side. Mm -hmm. I think those are kind of cool. It seems equivalent. But I like them. Well, there's a novelty there. You actually get a benefit. (laughs) Did we ever decide, like I'm many, many people were saying, were theorizing that. Lots of people are saying. Because. We wore masks for lo- so long. We all got sicker. And you and I did mm. the year after the masks were removed. It's hard to say because we had such little kids. I know. But we yeah. were seeing other kids frequently. Yeah. I mean, it makes logical sense that if you're not exposing yourself to path- pathogens and then all of a sudden you're deluged yeah. by them, you'll be more susceptible. I yeah. don't know. I know. Intuitively, that makes sense to me, too. I have become so <laughs> red pilled, black pilled, cage cage stage in the uh, homeschooling, home making lifestyle that <laughs> I've been finding myself frustrated with kids who are going to public school and preschool and whatever. And this is kind of a joke, but kind of not. I have to imagine kids have the poorest personal hygiene right like they're sticking their fingers in their butt up their nose in their ears in their mouth in each other's mouths like this is how they have been for all of time and through covid we learned or relearned that indoor spaces with circulated air are hotbeds for viruses to grow and replicate Mm -hmm. and so i'm just thinking well we used to, this is an exercise I always do. What did we do in the village? Kids used to be outside playing with each other all the time, but now they're in these indoor spaces all day, daycare and preschool and public school with circulated air. They maybe get up to an hour outside and then they're sharing the same toys and whatever. And then with our diet and lack of sun exposure, our immune systems are completely shot. And so it just seems like what we're doing with full-time childcare, including public school, is a massive contributor to these seasonal viruses that we all get. Even if you don't have kids, you're being exposed because people who have kids, their kids are bringing it home, and then the parents are going to work and interacting with these people, and that, you know, it just proliferates from there. Yeah, and they're looking the shelf at the grocery. Yeah, you're around <laughs> it. So I'm just wondering, like, I'd like to run the experiment. If all the kids stayed home, and there were even just one or two fewer interactions with other kids per week, how many fewer viral replications or exposures would we have? Something I've been mulling over. It's funny you put it that way because that brings to mind the loneliness epidemic. Mm -hmm. So we have to balance getting them around peers with health. See, there's a market force that corrects itself on its own. If you have kids in your house all day and you know that someone else has kids in their house all day, we coming over. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) But you also know ahead of time if one of them's sick and you won't come over. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's greater control because there's fewer variables per parent or per caretaker. But what do you do like this winter if they require masks at places Like, what's your, So, are you just hard no anywhere? Like, I don't know what to do with the doctor. What am I going to do? Take my kids to a different doctor? We've already changed doctors so much. I know. (laughs) There's at least a fig leaf of plausibility at the doctor because someone might have Ebola. They don't. 
But they I might. know, but it is the most like sympathetic yeah, environment. Visiting someone at the hospital, fine. Everywhere else, no. Like and grocery I used, stores yeah. and Target and not. Oh, I forget. We don't go to we Target. Yeah. Walmart. I know, but see, I grew up as a basic girl, and so Target for me is like what are those words called? Like Band Aid or Kleenex. They're not actually, oh, yeah. like, they're a brand. I don't but know that's what the word for that is, yeah. The word that we use to encompass all things that are generally like that. So, like, Target mm-hmm. to me is just, like, a store. Yeah. I need to work on that. Old habits die hard. No, but I remember early in COVID thinking that the hardcore no wearing a mask is feminism and you're, <laughs> you're not a man. You're on my rights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought they were cuckoo. I thought that was a little extreme, but at this point, I'm not going to make a scene, but I'm not going to go somewhere if I'm they require me to wear a mask. And I could see that happening a lot in Lawrence. I'm kind of ready to make a scene. I remember trying to go to Chipotle one time and the guy yelled at me mm, and I just I do left. I that. And Did fine, you not, not get us Chipotle? No, we didn't get a burrito that night. Oh my God. I was okay with that? Yeah. Sarah, can you put on a mask? No. And I left. <laughs> So I'm going to be more like that this time, but hopefully (laughs) it doesn't come to that. I'm not going to yell at someone about it. I also think back to this great irony that you and I were one of the first people to wear masks. And so there is a certain degree, there's a correlation between um, wearing masks, not wearing masks, depend on what time in history we're talking about, and your degree of how informed you are of news in current events because we were seeing the reports come in about coronavirus. And so we started to wear my dad, the prepper already had in 95s on hand. Yeah. And so I remember going to Aldi and sitting in the parking lot like uh, early March. I think it's all kind of a blur. Yeah. March or April. And watching people walk in and no one was wearing a mask, but there were like news reports that this was happening and then it was here and then it was probably in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Or at least getting close. And so I was in the car and my mom was um, in the ICU recovering from a massive heart attack at the time. And we were interacting with her daily. And so our personal situation was pretty precarious. And so I was watching these people go in and out. And then I'm like texting my friends. And I was like, should I wear this mask? Nobody is. And my friends at the time who were super liberal about everything during covid masks and vaccines they were like no it's fine you don't you you'll be fine (laughs) and i wore it inside and then me and this other guy who were wearing in 95s like exchanged a look and i think i took it off halfway through because i was so uncomfortable and the n95s have those two elastic things by the way the up and the top and the bottom ones And so there's no hairstyle that you can wear that is comfortable like that. Mm -hmm. And then that type of rubber is constantly pulling on your hair. It's horrible. I'd rather get COVID. (laughs) Anyway, but then we were the first ones to not wear them and then not get vaccinated. And so it's just interesting to see like the delay of information consumption or news consumption. And it's funny what people do with the later information, right? People talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect where if someone shows you evidence that undermines something that you believe, Mm -hmm. you're more likely to double down on that instead of change your view or accept that contrary evidence. Yeah. I'm not saying we're better than anyone. Try to debunk the Bible and I'm going to ignore you too, but... (laughs) 
Welcome to episode 27 of the Free State Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Jace. Today we are going to give you a review of last night's GOP primary debate. Wait, what number did you say? 27? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't make my joke about Asa Hutchinson's eyes. He looked really creepy. Coked out. Yeah. Yeah. It was sad. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hate him just for the policy. But He's he from the dare generation, though. He would just say no. He was, uh, yeah. Did you peep his comb over? I was like, the hairs growing above his left ear were combed all the way over and almost touching his right ear. <laughs> Far be it from me to critique <laughs> another man's follicles. A balding man. But yeah, I did like his voice, though. It was kind of like hot butter. It was like, mm-hmm. he could just read me a story and I'd fall asleep because it's like slow and southern. Fair. Oh, but then there was one, I think it was his closing statement or close to it when Tim Scott tried to pull like a whole MLK, like reverberating, like black man kind of tone, like, and then I was saying, and it was so cringe and oh, fake no. and yeah. yeah, or like a rehearsed yeah. mm-hmm, flashcard. So needless to say, we loved that. If you enjoy what you hear in today's review, you can leave one for us. On our Spotify profile or our Apple profile. You should also send this episode to a friend if you enjoy it. There's also going to be a link in today's show notes where you can submit a voice message that can be played on air and we can respond in real time. We've done this before and it's pretty fun. And you can also find that link at anchor.fm slash freestate. If we didn't like your candidate, we'd love to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to leave us a voicemail, you can send us an email we would st- love to hear about it. Eh, I'm curious. If you don't like Vivek, like, you're wrong. <laughs> it's like picking a scab, right? Or, or like if you have an ulcer in your mouth. What? You still <laughs> rub your tongue on it, even though what? you know it hurts. It's uncomfortable. You can't leave it alone. Oh, That's like how I feel about masochist. people telling me I'm wrong. Mm. Like you want the iron sharpening iron kind of thing. That's an optimistic way to put it, mm. but sure. If I'm wrong, please let me know at freestatepod at gmail.com. <laughs> Enjoy. Good luck on your future positions on the board of Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. Yeah, Laura, why are you sitting over there in your Burgum t-shirt? You got that fast. What's Burgum? He was the guy from North Dakota on the end ah! of the stage. <laughs> Before. Yeah. Well, if that tells you anything, there was a guy on Wait, stage. Wait, was he from a small town? I I wonder if they had a stoplight. Before we talk about the actual substance, something that just really put me in the angry frame of mind I needed to be in to consume this debate. As they were doing the pregame, we turned on Fox News before it started, maybe 10, 15 minutes, because we were over eager, I guess. And one of their top analysts, Britt Hume, he's been associated with the channel since the very beginning. He's getting old. Getting old. But he said, almost verbatim, I didn't rewind it to write down the quote, but I wrote this down. Most Americans uh, don't care about foreign policy. So I really hope tonight we hear from the candidates whether they would stick it out in Ukraine. And that just summed up for me the entire Fox News approach to (sighs) politics. And why it drives me insane. 
Yeah, I'm glad you teed it up that way. One thing that I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork with first was, do you remember this SNL skit? I think maybe it was four or five years ago, and it was about the bubble. And it was basically, I mean, everyone on SNL is liberal, so it was, they were making fun of themselves. They were making fun of liberals, and Mm -hmm. they were saying, it was like an ad for a housing development that was inside, quote, the bubble, where everyone's like-minded and we don't use plastic grocery bags and we Mm -hmm. all drive electric cars and we all just do stuff that liberals do. They're all vegans or whatever inside the bubble. And it was actually physically, like, covered in a clear plastic dome, (laughs) this housing development, whatever. And when I watch Fox or just talk to someone outside my immediate friend group or maybe someone chimes in on a comment section online that I haven't spoken to in a long time, I realize that we really are all living in segmented realities. Like truth is relative and not actually, but to everyone else, you get to pick and choose what reality looks like. Yeah, there is no monoculture. There's no singular america since we exist in a digital space for the most part especially in terms of social relational aspects you get to curate your experience of reality Mm -hmm. and so to some people brit hume has his apple vr goggles (laughs) tuned to ukraine and who's where waving Mm -hmm. the flag so I just say all of that because we were watching the commercials oh my. during the breaks yeah. and we were like, who are these for? Yeah, I made a joke <laughs> in one of my group chats that uh, there was a commercial for South Dakota and it had the governor on there dressed in coveralls and she was going to fix the electricity. For some dirty old man. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I obviously. thought, yeah, it was like a callback to some 80s Ugh. porno. It was weird. <laughs> but then on the debate stage, that was clear too. And so... I get really uncomfortable making any sort of like political predictions because I have no idea because we're all so segmented. Our realities are different. I have an impression from the people that I have around me, but the type of people I have around me are completely different from somebody else who lives inside, let's say, the bubble. I can't make even close to an accurate assumption based on evidence around me because it's an incomplete view of the entire space. Yeah, and it used to be that polling was supposed to fill some of that gap so you knew yeah. kind of where you stood relative to everybody else. But I was confused looking at who was on stage and some people I had basically never heard of except for prepping to watch this thing. Mm-hmm. I started looking up what the requirements were for the next debate in yeah. late September. And then I looked at the polling and some of those people are going to qualify for the next debate, too. Who, for example, is supporting Asa Hutchins? Hutchinson? Oh, uh, <laughs> now that you say it, I don't even know. I think it's Hutchinson. Okay. We're pulling a Trump to, like, pretend that we don't know his name. I call him Ada. He told. I he won't said reveal because it'll get me in trouble. I won't say why, but I call him Ada. Not. I know his name's Asa. I call him Ada. It's funny you say that. No one. Is supporting okay. him. No one is right. supporting Will Hurd, and no one is supporting the guy that challenged Gavin Newsom. Is Will Hurd that guy from CIA. Texas? Kind of brown. CIA. Okay. Who's the guy that challenged Gavin Newsom in California? Did the whole recall thing? Larry Elder. 
No one's supporting him either. But like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott are getting 8 and 14% in South Carolina. And some of the debate criteria are if you have some level, I think it's above 3 or 5% in an early state. Mm-hmm. And South Carolina is an early state. Mm. So they all qualify. Okay. And I think even Chris Christie, he's doing really well in New Hampshire. So he's going to qualify. Wh- ha- why? I How? Don't. I've heard he's only going to New Hampshire, so it's the only state, but that gives him enough to stay on TV. Chris and Christie could come bring breakfast to my house on a Wednesday morning and pay me half a million dollars for his company, and I still would not support him. I don't understand. I told you when we watched the debate, I was like, I can smell his stale coffee breath. Like, you just know <laughs> that ish is bad. We haven't even mentioned your guy, though. I know. Are we going to cut right to it? Vivek is the man. I I was so hard on him when we did our first preview. It's true. And I was like, he's a try hard. (laughs) And I I, I don't know. Maybe I was just trying to be contrarian. But I'm going to buy a t-shirt. Yeah, we don't want to leave you hanging. We both thought Vivek won. It was so clear. He was competent. He was well-spoken. He looked good. And he was the only one on that stage who I thought could actually hold a conversation with Donald Trump with mutual respect going both ways. Yeah. Why is that a criteria for you? Because it shows that he might actually be able to garner support from the same Hmm. people or type of people that Trump has been able to do. No, that's fair. And even in the times in the debate where they had to raise their hand if they would still vote for Trump if he won. He was the first one to do it. He didn't even hesitate. And then everybody else only followed suit when they realized that it was okay because the audience was responding with applause yep. to Vivek. Yeah. So it just shows that he knows what he believes and he's going after it. The others are politicians. I loved it when the old men, like, he makes them so uncomfortable. It was Christy and Pence, I think, who were like... Oh, Pence was so condescending. I know. Yeah. Well, and Christy was... Awkward. The chat GPT. Well, he said, you sound like you're on chat GPT, but also like made weird. He's from New Jersey. They're pretty mean there, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, and Christie's known for being politically combative and funny in debates. But comparing Vivek to Obama, Mm. like saying, oh, you have a weird last name. I just thought that was a. I know the standard for political debates these days is seventh grade insults. So, yes, that fits. (laughs) But. It was jarring even still and last v- night. Vivek was like, well, come give me a hug. My takeaway was like, these guys, we've seen them a million times. They do this all the time. And they're really bad at it still. <laughs> Pence was horrible. Yeah. Christy, and I'm only talking about style and delivery. Sure. Not about the content of their policies that they were talking about at all. And it's important that you say that because if you just looked at what they said i think ron desantis had great answers yeah but it was like he wasn't even there so uncomfortable and he was like my pick Mm -hmm. up until last night even i think off the top i think vivek and nikki haley did the best in terms of delivery and debating the actual debating style yeah how they performed yeah Mm -hmm. far and away the best between those two and then maybe DeSantis, but like there's a significant drop off. Those two yeah. stood out to me as heads above the rest. I agree with that take. 
Um, my mom told me that apparently Mike Pence had the most speaking time. Yeah, that's showed. not shocking. Yeah. He was ponderous and condescending and awkward. Yeah, he was not. Yeah. He was trying. Well, and it was funny because one of the big things he criticized Vivek for was saying that America's not doing well mm-hmm. and that we just need a government that looks like our people while our people are hurting. Yeah. He was trying to do a weird Reagan morning in America thing, but yeah, it's not morning in America outside. People are falling apart. And I think that's why Vivek should have more appeal. Yep. Well, did you notice the package that Fox News put together and aired before the debate was a bunch of people, a diverse selection of people, and they were saying exactly what Vivek was saying. They were saying, I cannot afford to live. There are people on the streets who cannot afford to live. It was all about inflation. Mm -hmm. People were not optimistic. And Vivek said, quote, we live in a dark time. And he was the only candidate on that stage who took that approach. Every other candidate was trying to color reality with some optimistic take. Like the American dream is still alive or whatever Tim Scott said a million times. Yeah. That's simply not true for most people. And it's funny that you put it that way because it reminds me of Trump's inaugural address with, I think that was it with American carnage. I think that's the word Trump used and Vivek channeling Trump there. I wonder if he's either running to join that ticket Mm. or be the natural successor if something goes wrong with Trump's legal cases or whatever. I see a bunch of people asking that question, whether they think Vivek is running actually to be president or if he's running for something else. What do you think? I mean, that's what they're saying about everybody, because it looks like Trump is going to win no matter what. It looks like he has the best strategy because he's putting himself in the place to be like, well, if Trump is doing the best, I'm Mm going to be closest to him. I'm not going to attack him so that if something happens to him, I could be the natural successor or I could join the ticket or I could join the cabinet or I can go do whatever. Mm-hmm. It seems like he has the smartest strategy there. The other people attacking him, what is that going to do? You're already on MSNBC. What more are you going to get? I checked his Instagram account before I fell asleep last night, which was fairly late. And he had about 350,000 followers on there. Mm-hmm. When I woke up in the morning, which I'm sorry to say was fewer than eight hours later, He had gained like 60 to 70,000 followers. And that's on Instagram, which is kind of, especially in the political world, when you're talking about like journalists and donors and whatever, is sort of niche and not the most popular platform. That seems like a huge job. That's saying a lot. Yeah. He was smiling the whole time and it wasn't cheesy and it wasn't forced. And like DeSantis' smile was super limp is the only word I can like. It It looked like he was in pain. Yes. And like wincing. Yeah. But he stood tall. He was also taller than I thought he Mm. was. Asa Hutchins and whatever we decided his name was, (laughs) was the tallest. And then I think it was Tim Scott. And at one point they had to raise their hands. And I liked when DeSantis called out the moderators. He goes, we're not school children. We don't need to do a show of hands. Yeah, I like that. But they kept doing it. And there was one time, I think it was when they asked if they would still support Trump after the indictments. And they panned to DeSantis, who was standing beside Vivek. And Vivek stuck his hand into the camera screen so that people could see that it was still raised. Mm -hmm. Well, there was another time they had asked about still supporting Ukraine. 
And it was one of those raise your hand yeah. moments. And I think Ron DeSantis hesitated again and Vivek licked his finger and put it in the camera where he could see. Oh, that's what happened. By Ron. And he was putting his finger in the air like he was waiting to see what the audience thought or what the polls thought before he answered. Oh, okay. Thank I you for explaining the joke because I did not catch on that. Thank you. Yeah, and he just had the awareness to be able to mm-hmm. do that. And so he was the only one that even came close to Trump's showmanship. And I love that he was like, we're just going to have some fun tonight. Yeah. And for being the new guy, like, he was opposite of nervous. He Super comfortable. Yeah. And I knew when I just, I was observing him and I could put myself in the shoes of all of the boomers watching. And I'm like, they are going to hate him because he's only 38 years old. He knows his ish. He's happy. He's excited. He's confident. And he's beating all of these people down. These people who these older Republicans have loved forever. Yeah. And you just can't do that. And so... I'm already seeing it online, like they're all calling him childish, immature, annoying, obnoxious. Yeah. I like it. Bring it on. And I'll admit, I probably would have been like that if a presidential election was supposed to be about who has the best policies. But he also has the best policies, you don't think? No, no, no. I'm just saying that what wins a debate especially but what wins even more often in politics is the complete package the style and the substance yeah i think he has that i agree that's why i like him i'm just saying most of the other candidates focus a lot more on (laughs) it seems like the older perhaps boomers that you have in mind watching the debate think of it as a formal oxford exchange of policy oh yeah they ideas. love that stuff yeah or at least they claim to they don't really that's why they all voted for trump he didn't have a bunch of white papers with this is the way i will fix these problems he mm-hmm. just had a gut instinct that they vibed with and i think vivek's trying to capture that and not even trying that's just it seems to be how he is i find it incredibly appealing But I think he makes the we need a new generation of leadership point much better than Nikki Haley. Is she still trying to do that? Yeah, that's her her whole pitch. Well, her kids, I guess, are maybe a few years younger than me. I'm 29 in September. That's how old Trump and Biden are. 29? No, I'm saying they're that much older than her that she is saying... I oh, like Trump. yeah. I serve yeah, in the administration. She's young. Yeah. We need a new generation. But yeah, mm-hmm. I agree that we need to go younger. Her blush was too heavy. Oh, I yeah. couldn't speak to that. I, I thought she looked nice. I had to say that out loud. So I wonder, I'm always interested in the clothing. They were all wearing blue suits and red ties. And then Nikki was wearing a i can't remember the name of that fabric it's not tweed but it's textured like it i can't remember and then there was like a fringe but it was like a light blue i think a light blue color it was almost white i thought it was like tulsi's white power suit and well i think the reason that women choose that color this is just a guess i'm like not an expert here but i think it's because in politics female candidates have to be careful of not being someone's mother or nagging wife, right? Like that's okay. the cliche. And I think it's possibly to soften her look. Like that's why they might have done such heavy makeup on her too, is to like kind of 
doll her up and feminize her appearance so that she could say like, but I also want to drop bombs everywhere on the globe. (laughs) Well, yeah, the most animated she got was when she wanted Vivek to give more money to Israel. Yeah. It was very weird. Yeah, Putin's going to take over the Baltics or whatever she was trying to say. Something like that. My husband is deployed. I know more than you do. Yeah. Maybe she does, but she has the wrong idea about what to do with that knowledge. (laughs) How about we bring him home? I'm not impressed. Wouldn't that be nice? My thing with DeSantis is it's sort of like when I was watching the debate last night, for me, I was watching to compare him and Vivek. Ron knows policy, but he's just boring. Yeah. Like he's a good governor. Okay, but we need to talk about this afterwards. I'm bookmarking this for a minute from now. Going to war with Mexico. But Vivek has similarly if not better policies and it's also just like fun like i just enjoyed listening to him speak yeah and like i was trying to say earlier the packaging matters as much if not more than the policy Mm -hmm. because most people i think it's safe to say are dumb and don't care about that just like brit hume was saying they don't care about foreign policy i don't think they care about domestic policy either vivek seems to know that more than ron DeSantis, and so if we're grading it just based on who has the best record of delivering on yeah, policies. Sure. I mean, Ron DeSantis is a veteran. He's a yeah. governor, successful governor, has done all of these good policies, has ideas for how to fix things. Mm-hmm. On paper, yes, go. Yeah. But he's missing that last bit. Yeah. And so I'm hoping, I need to look more at everything Vivek says and believes, but I'm hoping if he can be... As effective as Ron DeSantis, that would be great. I've heard one criticism of Vivek is that supposedly he's changing his positions from what he said earlier. And I think Chris Christie said that during the debate. He had changed his evaluation of Donald Trump in his book versus on the debate stage. I haven't looked into it, so I can't say for sure. I'm hoping that the charges of inconsistency are more that he changes his emphasis based on the audience that he's speaking to and not that he's actually flip-flopping because that's way too easy to check these days and that'll shoot him in the foot if people can't trust what he says. Although again, does policy actually matter in the post-Trump era if he's got the vibe down? One other thing I know I've heard people are worried about is the fact that he's not a Christian and that he's Hindu. And while I can understand why that might be a problem for a lot of people, um, I saw an article in the New York Times interviewing evangelical Christians and whether they would be open to supporting a Hindu candidate. I had people tell me that they thought Vivek was being dishonest when he talks about his faith in God and his worry that people are losing faith in America, that Americans are less likely to be in church because that makes him seem like he's a Christian. People will assume he's a Christian and he should be honest that he's not. I'll take that as far as it goes, but do people really think Donald Trump and Joe Biden are serious Christians? And I guess for me, it's compared to what? If we can have someone who's a strong Christian with great political principles, I think that would be preferable, but that doesn't look like it's on the menu this time. Well, I guess Ron DeSantis is Catholic, but it's not an unfair question, and Vivek will have to talk about how his Hindu faith is 
compatible with the American tradition of Protestantism and beyond that general religious liberty, but to the extent that he's willing to uphold that traditional approach, I'm fine with that. It seems like his other political ideas line up with ours, and that's not disqualifying out of hand. It's kind of like Tulsi Gabbard in the Democratic primary last time. I liked her a lot, and turns out she's Hindu too. But at the same time as I'm saying that, I keep hesitating because I'm thinking all of this is like debating how many angels can fit on the head of a pin because I don't think any of these people are going to become president. What are we doing? Hmm. I think Vivek intentionally avoided that abortion question because I turned to you and I said, did you notice how he didn't even try and get in on that? And Hmm. then so we had to look up what his position was. Yeah, I think he had said he supports the six-week bans in the states but that he doesn't want a federal ban okay but i haven't heard him talk about it i haven't looked into it you have to be careful with the like the millennial generations because they can be conservative on everything but some of them on abortion that's like the one exception where they don't fall into traditional pro-life well and it's funny that you bookmarked the mexico and drug yeah thing because i think he's pretty hardcore about what he would do about stopping drugs too i don't it didn't come up from him last night i don't know i just i know i've been having babies for the past few years but like when did it become politically acceptable to suggest that we should invade mexico and kill drug cartel leaders because they're invading our country and Mm. killing our children with fentanyl and so why would you just let them walk all over you oh you have to use so you support it no, I'm just telling you that's what oh. they're saying. kind of seemed like you were kind of into it there for a second. No, the question I had when it came up last night, because when Ron DeSantis said that, I was confused. I said, well, if you shut down, if you don't let people in, yeah. why do you need mm-hmm. to go invade? Yeah. If you build the wall or whatever, you stop illegal immigration. Yeah. Why do you go further than that? That's my question. I don't right. know. I don't know practically what invading mexico gets you that just focusing on the border doesn't imagine the price of avocados if we went to war with mexico oh man well and that's part of the problem we're not going to war with mexico it's another iteration of the war on terror right they're saying they're going to declare the cartels terrorist organizations and then pull in afghanistan yeah the last time we sent guns down to mexico we lost all of them right so that's how i feel about that and so that's why you like small town Bergam. <laughs> he was so uncomfortable. I know. I've. It was probably his leg. I want. Yeah. People remind me that he tore his Achilles tendon the morning before the morning of the debate. I don't know. Whatever. Right before. I don't want to forget this thought I had about Nikki Haley. She with her abortion answer. It was Although we need to be compassionate. She pulled the whole like unelected Supreme Court justices are deciding a very personal and intimate decision for women in America. Yeah. And so she's I know the women that she's trying to appeal to. And every time see, maybe I'm a misogynist. Every time she opens her mouth and especially on that one, it's like, what did that guy say on Twitter? I want to shove a screwdriver into my ears. <laughs> I do not like her and I do not like, I can just picture the base that she's trying to appeal to this like weird politically orphaned demographic of women who hate their husbands, probably don't agree with all the woke stuff, but like 
love abortion because they either had one or have friends or family members who did. And so therefore have to double down like what you were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. on their pro-choice positions. That would make more sense. I hope it's not just that they've been told so often that that's what's most important. Yeah, no, I mean that too. Politically for being a woman. Yeah. She did have have that cute line where she was like, when they were all bickering between each other, she goes, see, if you want to get something said, ask a man. And if you want something done, ask a woman. I thought that was kind of cute. She says it a lot, though. Uh, so it yeah. hit me kind of like Tim yeah. Scott saying the American Dream thing. Tim I know Scott was so awkward. He was awkward. Well, and it's funny because ever since I told my mom about that interview he did where you said, I have to go potty. Uh-huh. She said that's all she could think about. I know, watching it. I was waiting for him to say it on the debate stage. <laughs> I had some other notes about him. Well, I want to finish my thought about Doug Burgum. He got on stage in an unconventional way. So they had to have, I think it was 40,000 individual donors to qualify if you didn't have a certain percentage in the polls. And so he was giving people a $20 gift card if they gave him a dollar. Oh my gosh. Well, and it turns out he had asked some political consultants how he could get 40,000 donors. And they said, oh, we can get that for you. It's just going to cost a million dollars. It turns out with his gift card plan, it cost 750000 And so he said, I'm an entrepreneur. I found a way to get it done <laughs> and save Actually, money. I like that. That's funny. Yeah. Well, and some of his answers town, so. were fine. Yeah. He just was awkward. Yeah. And I felt bad because he. it looked like he tried really hard to be yeah. there and he was prepared. And then he just fell on his face. Really nice teeth, though. I noticed that, oh. that a lot of them had really nice teeth. Just a presidential debate, you know, a hundred years ago, their yeah. teeth would have been gross. You wouldn't have seen Things them. you don't think about. Oh, I have a note about that super cringe. I put my hand on Reagan's Bible. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. Mike <laughs> The boomer appeals were so cringe. And your friends were talking about how the scripture he quoted was completely spliced and inaccurate. <laughs> But yeah, it doesn't he, matter because everybody at home was probably like, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, he was talking about how when he thinks about being pro-life, he thinks about, and then mm-hmm. he started quoting scripture, but it was two verses that <laughs> have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. And then one of my friends said, and Judas went and hung himself, go and do likewise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have another note. I thought the most fabulous response all in all, period, was the Vex response on crime in urban cities. And the paraphrase of it is, law and order is critical, but the root of this crime is a national mental health crisis because people lack a feeling of purpose because we've demonized faith, family, and hard work. And I was like, that was such a perfect summary of what is going on. Yeah, he had the best answer by far. And I thought everything he said is like exactly what you and I talk about on this podcast and what mm-hmm. we talk about with friends our age. And again, I realized that that demographic is limited by age. But to me, it's the most accurate reflection of reality. Yeah, I agree. And it's a shame that I'm so skeptical that that's going to matter for him politically. Yeah. So I, I keep coming back to this. but So we had those eight people on stage fighting about 
who's going to come in number two in the GOP primary. And then we watched Tucker Carlson interview Donald Trump, who's still winning by, I think, 40 points in the closest polls. That interview had like 75 million views in 40 minutes. Yeah. Crazy. I loved that interview. I thought it was incredibly complimentary to Trump. I think that he should do that style of interview all the time. I think Tucker was a little off base. Like he kept a couple of times he doubled down on the idea that like, well, they want to kill you. Yeah. He asked that twice. It was a little awkward. Yeah, it was. Um, And I know that they like each other. So I know that that helps that there's, Mm -hmm. there's chemistry and like a pre-existing relationship. But it was funny to watch Trump think through things. Mm -hmm. It was clear they didn't edit it. Like, the first question was about whether Trump thought Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Yeah. And I, just the idea that that's the first question is hilarious. Yeah. But him saying, I think he did kill himself and disagreeing with Tucker, it was nice that Tucker gave him the space to think through it. Mm-hmm. And you could see how he approached the issue. It humanized him. Yes. I thought it was a very humanizing interview. And I watched you and I, while I was watching the interview, or just at least peripherally. And we did not check our phones one time when he was on. And we did during the debate. And I don't know, you know, I realize that there are different formats, but like, we were intrigued. Man, I really hate that I always try to sh- uh, stomp on your points. I oh, couldn't you check couldn't my check phone. check your phone. Because we were streaming it from my phone to yeah, the TV. Yeah, that's bad improv, Jace. Yeah. No, I didn't feel compelled to check my phone. I didn't care what other people, because my group of friends had watched the Fox debate and then we were all watching the Trump interview mm-hmm. right after together. I didn't feel compelled to see what they were saying until after we had yeah. finished watching it. We missed like the last 15 minutes of that interview. Yeah, we had to go to bed. But, but I would like to know, I mean, the quest- the obvious question to me is, so what would you do this time around? Yeah, I mean, the biggest question, I think this is something Ben Shapiro says all the time. If you say the 2020 election was rigged, what are you going to do this time? How are you going to fix it? That would unrig it. Yeah. And I guess that applies to all all the GOP candidates if they Mm -hmm. believe that. And if there's no plan, then what are we doing? And I haven't heard an answer from any of them. I think the RNC has said that they're going to be ballot harvesting and they're getting everybody ready to mail in their votes. I have no sense of the relative size of the different camps. If there are truly 85 million hardcore anti-Trump voters, I don't see why that would have changed in four years. What is your position on mail-in voting? I think we should have an election day where you go to the polls and fill in a paper ballot. I think... I'm just pretty hardcore inter- about that. Too. Yeah. International experience has just shown that that's the best way to have above board elections that most people can agree are legitimate. And to the extent that we have actual questions about election legitimacy in America, we mm-hmm. have ways to nip that in the bud. Why don't we just do that? I think if you are active duty military or maybe you qualify for Social Security and disability, you could do mail in ballots like that logically makes sense to me like if you are deployed somewhere overseas or if you are physically disabled sure and can't get to the ballots mail-in ballots would make sense but otherwise you should have to go in person sure make it a holiday whatever i don't care no work no school fine if that's what it takes 
and paper ballots only. I want everybody who cares enough to go and vote and figure out what's going on to vote. I don't want just someone who was manipulated into because this is the argument right they go around to nursing homes and get all these people who don't know what's going on to fill out a ballot or they fill it out for them and then is that actually democracy or is that manipulation i hate that but at the same time i am worried because it goes back to that mike pence vivek debate about the government of like the government representing the people or yeah if the government is good as the people yeah if the people are bad, we're going to have bad government and there's yeah. no way around that. I, if my 20 year old self were hearing me say this, she would probably shoot me in the face. But I do now probably support civics testing for people 25 and younger to vote. Sure. Like I should have had to take one of those tests. I probably would have failed <laughs> when yeah. I was 18. No, I'd apply the rule to myself. Yeah. I'm confident I can pass, but yeah. I th- if you don't know what's Correct. going on, why are I you I mean, why, why put an age gap on? <laughs> yeah, if immigrants have to take this test. Yeah, well, and that's a broader conversation, but we've so watered down the concept of citizenship. It's just yeah. whoever happens to live here, mm-hmm. like, who cares then? I think the decline in social solidarity has come along with that watering down. It's just, well, I guess I work for this corporation and I get my credit card, so I'm okay. Yeah. The decline of religious institutions, any sort of national pride, if you'll call it that, that has overtones I don't like. but But if you want people to care about something... Yeah. Maybe if they have skin in the game, they will. Because people immediately, whenever they hear proposals like that, they call it racist and say, oh, you're going back to poll taxes and literacy tests. And those were used by racists in the South to keep black people from voting. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of Appalachia is not going to turn out if we have a citizenship test. Mm. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) People need to rise to that standard. We're not. J.D. Vance is literally shaking. (laughs) We're not going to have self-government. Yeah. And we can't call what we have self-government if most of the people or a lot of the people voting can't pass that test. So what I'm saying is, in a perfect world, we'd be having a policy debate between Vivek Ramaswamy, mm. Ron DeSantis, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Mm. But what we're actually going to have... No Trump? ...is Kamala Harris saying, yeah. I'm not going to debate someone who was accused of insurrection. And then... We're going to have something stupid in November. Have you actually been following the indictment stuff with Trump? Oh, yeah. Like out of necessity for your job or? Well, that and I just, yeah, I consume that media. I know what each of the four are. I know which one is more likely to get him in jail. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to get into it, I the reason I didn't mention Trump in that scenario is because it opens up a lot more existential questions about the health of our society. Is, yeah. is it really a sign that we're a banana republic, that the ruling institution is politically persecuting its rival, its chief rival in Trump? Did he actually do things that are so bad that's worth preventing him from even having the chance of becoming president again? I'm skeptical. Even as bad as some of the things they're alleging are 
And we have to talk about that, right? So the first one seems to be the stupidest that he paid improperly paid a porn star not to say anything because he thought <laughs> his wife might be upset. I don't know why that's a crime. Like, don't do that. I mean, you and I have talked about that. You said I could do mm. that, but then I could never come home. So mm. it's understood. <laughs> the other ones are even... Oh, God. Yeah, I guess we're doing this. So the next one, I think, is the classified documents at mar-a-lago he had okay. he boxes. took some boxes yeah. and then tried to hide them and then he showed some people what was in the boxes and biden has more boxes well okay but that's just looking at trump yeah okay whatever but there's a debate even if he could possibly violate that rule because he was president when he moved him apparently okay. And so how can, if he's in charge of classifying things, how can he violate the rules about classification? Mm. But setting that to the side, they haven't been prosecuting other people who do the exact same thing, if not oh, worse. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, again, yeah. why? Right. The other ones have to do with January 6th yeah. and the 2020 election. And that's where people say, well, the one that, might stick might actually have him in jail that he can't get out of would be the one in georgia because it's a state crime is that where he like called and said you need to find some votes yes but it's she's also upset about all of the attempts that the campaign did to find out whether there was fraud in georgia okay and so every single phone call they made every fundraising pitch they did she's counting as another act in the conspiracy to steal the election which is ridiculous yawn honestly this is boring yeah so you don't need me to do the play-by-play -play. if you care you already know about this and you might just be interested yeah. if i care i, I think no i don't mean to say that you're boring i no, just no, no, uh, I like following this news story is boring like it is it, i think it doesn't this this debate should be a political one, not a legal one. Yeah. If people think that what he did was so bad, I think we should have all the facts out there. And there are plenty of reporters trying to get to the bottom of everything he did and what he knew yeah. before or after January 6th. Lay it all out and let the people decide. I don't think it should be a state court or mm. three federal courts deciding whether he can or can't be the president. Yeah. And I know this came up. Yeah, they debated last night a little bit. There's a law review article saying that since Trump was associated with January 6th, that the 14th Amendment prevents him from being president because he was associated with an insurrection. I think that's crap, too. But that complicates the question about what's going to happen in the election. Well, and it just goes back to what I was saying before about whether it's who has the best policies or mm -hmm. who can market a set of policies to the American people. And we'll find out that there hasn't been an election like this before that I know of. I mean, I guess you had Eugene V. Debs running for president from jail, but he wasn't on the major party ticket. I think he was running as a socialist. I have no idea who that is. It was back at the turn of the century. He, he was thrown in jail for, I think it was a railroad strike or something like that. Okay. He was a labor activist. Mm-hmm. And he was still running for president from jail, but... That's kind of edgy. Yeah. I might have supported that at the time. <laughs> so we'll see if that's what Trump does this time. Yeah. I don't know. There's nothing at this point that would get me to vote for a Democrat, so... I know. We'll see. We're singing all day new.
strong.